Welcome to the sermon podcast of Gamble Street Baptist Church, Fort Worth, Texas. Gamble Street Baptist Church has been sharing the gospel for over 100 years. This podcast includes sermons from our traditional Sunday morning service and our contemporary services on Sunday evenings. We hope God speaks to you through this sermon. Good evening, everyone. It's good to be back here tonight as we continue through our series in the book of Ephesians over our identity and where our identity lies and uh, to whom we can find it. We obviously have gone through the first two sermons and the first two messages in Ephesians covering the first six verses. And if you were here last week or you tuned in online, we discussed uh, the topic that, that Paul covers. And although, although he covers uh, election and predestination, that, as, as we heard, that wasn't the, necessarily the, the theological... Uh, he wasn't trying to make a theological case, so to speak, but he was trying to... He was, he was showing us uh, that our election and our, our standing is... Our identity is not found in that. It's found... In Christ, and so uh, being found in Christ, Paul lets the believers know that uh, they are blessed. He lets them know that they are holy and blameless, and then he also lets them know that they are God's children. So that's what we covered. Uh, that was what was covered last week, and so this week we kind of get into um, as as the title of the sermon is "Redeemed for an Inheritance." Uh, what that inheritance is. And, and I think it's really interesting, and we'll cover it tonight, the, the intention that, that God had behind this of, of redeeming his people and calling them uh, and, and obtaining them to an inheritance. And we're going to see that uh, tonight through, through the reading of his word. And it's found in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, starting in verses 4, or starting in verses 7 reading through verse 12, uh, but before we read it, we, we know, uh, I want us to note that uh, Paul is trying to, to uh, let them know, yes, your identity is in Christ, but he's also wanting to expound on how that happened, how, how God brought that to pass, how he brought it, brought it to work. And as I was studying this um, throughout the week and, and reading it uh, a few weeks prior, I was thinking of just how gracious our God is. And uh, have y'all ever encountered a salesperson? I mean, I think everyone in here has from time to time. And I know they're just doing their job. But uh, I remember when I was little, uh, we went on vacation one time. And, and I don't even remember where we went. But I remember we went into some some building and... Uh, my parents had to ask some questions or something. I don't even remember what was really going on, but I remember the guy sitting behind the desk uh, was super nice, really nice guy. And he was just, you know, really into talking to my parents and all this, wanted to know all about them and um, all about our family. And come to find out, uh, I think the man had ulterior motives because he was trying to sell my parents a timeshare. And so... Uh, 
my parents uh, respectfully declined. And uh, I remember, I mean, I don't, like I said, I don't remember where we were, where we were on vacation, but I remember his reaction after that, after being so nice to our family, uh, whenever my parents declined, he said, okay, that guy across the room can help you then. I mean, you, you saw he, he had ulterior motives behind all these good offers he was giving and all the interests he seemed to take into our family. And, and the offer, the things he was offering seemed too good to be true. Kind of like that saying goes, if something's too good to be true, it probably is, you know? Well, we encounter in this text something that does seem way too good to be true. The inheritance that believers have, it seems way too good to be true. And to be, to be quite honest, it is too good for us. We, we do not deserve it, what, what God has granted to his children. However, we see that God has still given it to us and that his motives are pure and his motives uh, are very gracious and loving. And we're going to see that in this text Tonight in Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 7, Paul writes, In him, him being Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. So as I mentioned earlier, we're going to look at, at uh, how... Uh, Christ provided this redemption for us and, and how we are able to find our identity in Christ and are redeemed for an inheritance. And we see in this text uh, how it's done, but we also see why, why God has done it through his son, Jesus Christ. And first of all, we can notice, we can take note that we have redemption and forgiveness of our trespasses. Starting in verse 7, he says just that, in him we have redemption. So we have redemption. So Paul, Paul explains to the saints at, at Ephesus that you have been redeemed. You've been rescued. You've been, you've been liberated. You've been ransomed. And for them to be able to understand this, they have to know from what they have been liberated, right? I mean, if, if you don't realize you are enslaved, if you don't realize you uh, are, are being shackled in some way and you're liberated, you don't, you don't appreciate it. You don't even understand. But Paul tells them, you have been redeemed. You have redemption. So what are they redeemed from? Well, he, he tells them later on in the letter, and we'll get to it in a few weeks, but he says in the very next chapter starting out, he says, and you are dead in your trespasses and sins in, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So he tells them, you, you have been redeemed from this. 
And, and I, I think it's really interesting because you see that they have been delivered from the, the prince of the power of the air. And if you go later in the letter, when, he, when he's talking about the full armor of God, he, he tells them, so here we see that that's what you've been delivered from, but now we are called to a spiritual battle. We are called to fight that. Uh, and it's interesting to note that that's what uh, one of the things that was enslaving us, the enemy, and now we are called to this spiritual battle to fight against that, and that can only be done by the power of the Holy Spirit, obviously. But he says, you have been redeemed. You have been liberated. But he doesn't just stop there. He doesn't just say, you've been redeemed. Let's move on. He, he says how they've been redeemed. So how, how were they redeemed? He says, in him, in Christ, we have been redeemed. How? Through his blood. Through the blood of Christ. We've been redeemed through his atoning sacrifice. That's what Paul's telling them. Through the atoning sacrifice of Christ, you have been redeemed. And you have been redeemed for this inheritance. It's the only way that it could have been done. Through the sacrifice of Christ Jesus. As, as we sing about so often, redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through his infinite mercy, his child and forever I am. That's what Paul is telling them. You have been redeemed through the blood of Christ. And then he goes on to say, you've been redeemed through his blood, and along with that, you've been forgiven. We've been forgiven of our trespasses. We've been forgiven of our misdeeds. We've been forgiven of our sin. We've been forgiven of, of who we are because, and what we've done because of who we are. And so we have this redemption through the blood of Christ, which allows us to be forgiven of our trespasses. And so he, he goes on to say, along with that, he doesn't just say, you've been, as I mentioned earlier, he doesn't just say, well, you've been redeemed. He says, you've been redeemed by the blood of Christ, through the blood of Jesus. And then he says, you've been forgiven of your trespasses, but he doesn't just stop there. Why, we see, we get, catch a glimpse of the motive of what was behind God, through Christ, sending his son, Christ Jesus, in the world to forgive us of our sin. We see it in verse 7 at the end. He says, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. He did it because of the abundant grace that he has. It's something we don't deserve. It's something that we can never say, well, I deserve God's righteousness. I deserve God to smile on me. I deserve God to redeem me. No, it's, it's none of that. It's by his grace that he lavished and made abundant upon his people, upon all those who would call upon him, that they can experience it. And so we notice that in um, these first, in, the, in verse 7 and, and the beginning of verse 8, which he lavished on us. I, I, I think, as I was studying this, it seems like this really sets a backdrop to moving forward in this text and really the rest of the chapter that, that we have been redeemed and that we have been forgiven of our trespasses because of the riches of God's grace. What a beautiful picture. But moving forward, now we see Paul explaining to them that we know, that they, or that they know, and by default we as his children, his will. And we find out why he did that as well. It says, and the rest of verse 8, in all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will. He lets them know 
of his unfolding plan to come. Now, this doesn't mean, there's a couple things I want to address here uh, concerning verse, verse uh, 8 and 9, the end of verse 8 and the rest of verse 9. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will. First of all, uh, when he says the will, he's not, he's not talking about uh, he made, made every single thing known to the, the saints at Ephesus, like, I, I'm telling you everything I'm going to do. That's not what he's talking about. And oftentimes I, I think about that um, when, when I hear people trying to discern the will of God. It's as if God is wanting, or it's as if we are wanting God to just lay out everything in front of us and, and show us this is what you need to do. And then once I have that, then, then I know the mind of God, then I know the will of God, then I'm going to do it. That's not what Paul is talking about here. He's not saying he's laying all the, the complete roadmap for their life. I think what he's saying here is that he's letting, he's letting them know through your word, you know my will and you know my redemptive plan. You know what is going to come. You know that one day I'm going to return. I'm going to come and I'm going to reign. And how are they able to know this? How are we able to know this? We're able to know this through his word, through the word of God. That's why it's so important to be a student of the word of God, to, to engross ourselves in God's word, to, to make it a habit to read God's word because in it we find his will that he reveals to us. And he didn't have to do that, but he does. And we should take advantage of that. Now, I think it's, I think it's very interesting as well that we see why he did that. We see the motive, as I mentioned earlier, why he did that. Why did he do it? He wasn't obligated, didn't have to. It says, according to the kind intention, the kind intention which he purposed in him, and it goes on into verse 10, which we'll cover in a second. So his kind intention, what does this mean? It means his benevolence. It means his goodness. Just by the sheer goodness of God, he shows us his will. He shows us his plan of redemption. He shows us... Um, the things that are to come as far as he is returning, that we do need to be aware of that, that we do need to live like that because it is going to happen. He showed us because he is good, and he did this uh, with his kind intention, which he purposed in him, in Christ, in the beloved that we, we uh, learned of last week, found in verse 6. Christ is this. He did this because he is good. And as I was studying this, I was thinking about um, what C.S. Lewis wrote in the Chronicles of Narnia, remember whenever uh, referring to Aslan, the, the lion which represented Christ, it was said of him that he is not safe, but he is good. And that is our Savior. He, he's not safe. He doesn't call us necessarily to a safe life, but he is still good. He is good, he is holy, and he, he does this all because of the, his kind intention. But why else does the Father send his Son to do this? It is for, because of the kind intention that he had. But he goes on to say, it's not just simply because he is good. It's not simply because he's benevolent. Why? He says he does this so he could be an agent, the agency of adoption that we see in verse 10, the first part of verse 10. It says, uh, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of of times. This word administration is talking about a stewardship or, or a stewardship of a household, being in charge of something. And so Christ is this agency of adoption, bringing, bringing together all who are in Christ, 
bringing together all who are in Christ in the fullness of time, that one day he's telling this, these saints here at Ephesus that, that Christ is this agency of adoption. He's going to bring all, these, all of the believers together in the fullness of time when it, when it comes. And so he wanted them to take comfort in that, to find their identity in Christ, because one day he is going to perform this. He is going to have this happen. Well, like, like the saints at Ephesus, we need to take comfort in this. We need to take comfort in this. We need to recognize that one day Christ is going to return, that he's going to reign as king, and that he's going to gather all his people to himself. And why do we need to recognize this? Well, I think is the same reason maybe why Paul told them to recognize this, so that they could take comfort in the chaos that they were living in. Do we live in a chaotic culture? Maybe just a little? Just a tad? We do. And taking comfort in the fact, sometimes, I mean, my only, to be honest, my only motivation sometimes is one day Christ is coming back, and that's all I, that's all I got. That's the only reason. You know, sometimes it gets so bad that you have to realize one day Christ, God is going to make all this better. And as bad as life can get sometimes, and as tough as life can get, and I'm not diminishing that because life, life does get hard. Life is very hard at times, and I can't imagine what these Christians were going through. But he, he was letting them know this, to take comfort in this. And we too need to take comfort in the fact that Christ is going to come back. He's going to reign as king, and we've, he's going to gather all of those who have put their faith in him to himself. And we belong with him, and our identity lies within him. And that is something in which we can take comfort. That should drive us. That should motivate us to keep being faithful, to keep living the life God has called us to live. And so moving on, as we look at the, the last couple of verses in our main text, says, with the view to administration suitable to the fullness of times, that is the summing up. So one day he's going to gather all all the saints, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him, as it culminates to, to this verse, in him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. Now, I know that's a mouthful, and of course we know that, you know, this is... If I wrote a paper like Paul wrote the first chapter of Ephesians, I would have gotten an F because it's one long sentence and I've gotten in trouble for doing that before. So. But I wasn't inspired by the Holy Spirit when I was writing my assignment. It's pretty clear. Uh, professors let me know that. But we do see in this text, in, in, verse, in verse 11, we have obtained an inheritance. All of these things... Have, that God has shown us, that we've seen in this text, that, that we have been redeemed. How have we been redeemed? We've been redeemed through the blood of Christ. We've been forgiven of our trespasses. Why, why have we been forgiven of our trespasses? Because of his kindness, his goodness. And, and all because of this, all of these things, Christ is the agency of adoption. We've been adopted by him. He's going to um, come back and reign, and he's going to gather all his people unto himself. And all this leads up to we have been redeemed for an inheritance. All of this. And so it should be a motivation, as I mentioned earlier, for them to live a faithful life. Uh, 
we have obtained an inheritance. They haven't obtained it by themselves. They hadn't obtained it of their own accord, of their own works. We know that, and we know that we haven't obtained this inheritance by our works. But it's because of the things that were previously covered that, we, that I just mentioned, that we've been forgiven, that we've been redeemed, that we've been restored. And we, like the Ephesians, we see the purpose of this. We, we aren't supposed to uh, just bask in the fact that we are redeemed for an inheritance, even though we should celebrate that. But the purpose of that is not just to bask in and keep it to ourselves. What does he say? He says, to the end, that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. As they were to hope in Christ, they were to share the praise of his glory with others. And as we have been redeemed to an inheritance, as we find our identity in Christ, as we have been made right with him, we are not supposed to just keep that to ourselves and just just be saved and, and satisfied. We are supposed to live that out. We are supposed to be that light. We are supposed to uh, represent that to those around us, those with whom we come into contact, the, the people in our lives that we know, that we are supposed to be that, that um, representation that we have been redeemed, that we have been forgiven, that we have been restored, that we have been made right with Christ. So what, is, what does this mean? I mean, it's great to know that we have been forgiven and redeemed and all of these wonderful things And it does sound too good to be true, but praise God, it's not. Because God is faithful to his promises. So what's what's the point of this passage? What are we to make of this? Well, I mentioned it, some of this, but I think one of the big things is just by application is not even so much, yes, we are supposed to make this known to those around us, but I think we're also supposed to just recognize the steadfastness and the gracious love of God in this text. And I think when we do that, that will be a huge motivation for us to live a faithful life. Because I think, at least for me, a problem that I face sometimes in my Christian life is too quickly I try and get to the application of a text. Oh, what, is, what does this mean? I'm not saying that's a bad thing necessarily. But one, one thing that I think we should realize is notice the character of God in this text and who he is and why he has done what he has done. He didn't just tell us we were forgiven. He told us why we were forgiven. He didn't just tell us we were redeemed. He he showed us how we are redeemed. And as a result of that, we should be reminded of God's steadfast love and steadfast faithfulness that he will never fail us, that he will never leave us, and that he will never forsake us. And that's a promise that we can take to the grave and beyond the grave. And we also, I think, need to understand the other thing is as he wanted the saints at Ephesus to remember, I think something for us as as, uh, members of Gambrel Street are to remember is that this inheritance we've been given, we need to live to the praise of his glory. We represent something bigger than ourselves when we are here to worship and serve, and we represent someone bigger than ourselves when we go out into this world. And when we recognize this every day, we have been redeemed by the creator and sustainer of the universe. That should be our motivation, no matter how bad of a day we have, no matter how hard of a time we're going through, because they will come, that we are still to live to the praise of his glory. So my question to each of you that I have to ask myself is, are you living for the praise of his glory? We've been redeemed 
for an inheritance, something for which we could never pay back, but we should still give our lives daily to the cause of living a faithful life for Christ and living to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Gamble Street Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you have questions, we would love to speak with you. Please call 817-926-1785 to speak with a minister. If you live in or will be traveling to the Fort Worth area, we would love to have you visit. Gambrel Street Baptist Church has six church goals to reach the lost for Christ, to learn more about Christ, to touch the city through Christ, to train leaders to serve Christ, to embrace the world with Christ, and to build strong families in Christ. Please join us for our next episode.